Welcome to the Grove Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. And now to this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. One of the lies that our culture tells us is that there is quick success, that you can have quick success, and that the very successful people in our world just have something about them where it just clicks and they become very successful overnight. There is no such thing as overnight success. What most people don't see are the hours and the years that go into preparing for eventual success. And even then, a lot of it is by chance. So whether you're building a business or you're raising a kid, it doesn't happen overnight. Success doesn't just automatically happen. It takes time and effort. And the people that we look at and we think, oh man, they're just so talented and look at what they've done. It didn't just happen for them. That's, again, one of the lies that our culture kind of has bought into. In the same way, I think that because our culture is, has this idea and this mentality of immediacy, we we want, we want to be able to accomplish things quickly. And when we get discouraged with the length and the hard work that it's going to take, we quit. So we're a nation of people who want instant success and instant gratification. And when things are a little hard, we're not very, we're not very good at, at sticking to it. I mean, just look at New Year's resolutions. Everybody wants, you know, to be healthy, but they don't want to do the small things it takes to be healthy. Everybody wants to, wants to be able to go, well, not everybody, but there's a group of people that want to go out and be able to run a, a sub-two-hour half marathon, right? But you can't just go out there and run a sub-two-hour half marathon. It takes a lot of time and a lot of work. You can't just go out there and say, you know what, I'm going to do, a, uh, I'm going to do an ultra and, and think that you're going to go out and, and with, with no effort whatsoever run an ultra. It takes years, months, hours of, of prep. And so I think sometimes we carry that mentality, our Western mentality, into our reading of Scripture. And when we look at a person like David, we think that the things that happen in his life are just this instantaneous thing. And we forget that this is a life long process of him being patient and waiting on the Lord and becoming king and then ruling for a number of years before he had his downfall and then he has this downfall that we followed and he leaves Jerusalem and his son comes in and then there's this skirmish and this kind of this this battle that goes on and his son is killed and now there's this process that David's going to have to go through to get back to well, the place he was. He didn't just automatically walk back into Jerusalem and become the favorite king again. We read that sometimes and think that, okay, so now that Absalom, his son, who, who created this coup and took over Jerusalem and tried to take over the, king, the kingdom, now that he's gone, he can just walk right back into Jerusalem and be king again. And he does end up king again, but it's a process. And just as painstaking as his original process was, we get the idea that this process of his 
his coming back into kingship, his, his being renewed, it takes time, and it's, it's not effortless. It takes some doing. And so we're going to look at this rebuilding of David into the king that he once was. Now, last week we looked at his fleeing from Jerusalem, and then we looked at, uh, we looked at the battle uh, two weeks ago, we looked at his fleeing, and then we looked at the battle that he had, uh, that, his, that his army had with, with the, uh, the rebel army, the army that had kind of thrown up this coup with his son. And we kind of followed that, and then two weeks ago, we looked at this process of him leaving Jerusalem, and I said he had five encounters as he left Jerusalem. Well, what's interesting here is this next section is structured in the reverse of five encounters. And guess who it is? It's the same five people that he came across as he was leaving Jerusalem. So the same people that either helped him or cursed him as, him, as he left are going to be the same five people that he interacts with over this next section. And the reason why it's structured like this is it's bookends. It's showing us that he, it was a process for him and this fallen king to leave Jerusalem and to give up all his power and to lose all his power. It was this process that was that was horrible for him. He was embarrassed. He was cursed. He was lied to. And all of that was part of his undoing. But now he's going to have to reverse that process to regain his throne. And that's what the author in structuring 2 Samuel this way wants us to pick up as readers. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at 2 Samuel 19. And we're going to start with 16 and go through 40. We're not hitting every verse, but we're going to kind of pick bits and pieces. And so what happens is Absalom is overthrown, and King, uh, and King David sends a message to the two, the two priests that he had left in Jerusalem. So this is his first encounter. He sends messages to them basically saying, hey, what's going on in Jerusalem? And I'm not going to come back in king, as king until I'm invited as a king, until I gain the trust of the people again. I'm not just going to come storming in like my son did. I'm going to let God reinstitute me as king. I'm going to let God do his work, and I'm not going to push this. Remember, that's how David got his kingship in the first place. It was God's doing, not his own. And so he sends message back, in essence, to these, these priests that are in Jerusalem. He says, look... I'm not going to come in and take the throne. I'm going to let God do this thing for me. So that's the first one. Then he comes across in verse 16, Shammai. Now, Shammai was the one who was the most obnoxious when David was leaving. As David was leaving Jerusalem, this was the guy who stood up and cursed him and threw rocks at him. Remember this? He pelted David with rocks and threw dirt, and he got all this group of people to yell at David and to curse him and to tell him what a horrible person he was. Shammai, the Benjamite, when he heard about David, hurried to come down to, with the men of Judah to meet King David. David was getting ready at the Jordan to come back across the Jordan and back into the Holy Land. And with him were a thousand men from Benjamin. Now, when you read that, you think, oh gosh, this could go really bad. Shammai shows up. And he's one of the first ones there as David's coming back with his entourage and his household and his fighters. 
and he's coming back towards Jerusalem, but they're at the Jordan River, which is a good distance from Jerusalem. And they're at the Jordan River, and Shammai shows up, the guy who was pelting David with stones, the guy who was cursing him and had all these people yelling at him and throwing stuff at him and standing up on the cliff and throwing, if you remember that part of the story, and he shows up and he's got a thousand men. This looks like it's about to go really bad really quick. And Ziba, the servant of the house of David, or I mean uh, the house of Saul, with his 15 sons and 20 servants, rushed down to the Jordan River before the king too. And they crossed the ford to bring over the king's household and to do his pleasure. Wait, what? And Shammai fell down before the king as he was about to cross the Jordan and said to the king, Now remember, this guy hated David. Let not my Lord hold me guilty or remember how your servant did wrong on the day my Lord the king left Jerusalem. Do not let the king take it to heart, for your servant knows that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I have come this day, the first of all the house of Joseph, to come down to meet my Lord the king. He was the first one on scene. And he came hat in hand. He came bowing and saying, forgive me, I've sinned. I've sinned against you, but the implication is I've sinned against you, and in so doing, I've sinned against God. And because of that, I've come to admit that I'm wrong. Please forgive me. He didn't wait. He didn't fear what might happen to him because David was in full rights to kill him at this moment. Could have killed him, and and he would have been okay because of what the guy had done to him when he was still anointed king. But David didn't. In fact, one of David's mighty men says, let's kill the guy. Let's kill him because of what he did to us and what he did to you. But David refuses. He says, in verse 22, the second part, Shall anyone be put to death in Israel this day? For do I not know that I am this day king over Israel? And the king said to Shammai, you shall not die. And the king gave him his oath. So even though the party that David, or the, the party of mighty men that was there with David, his warriors wanted to kill the guy, David said no. Now think about what it took for this guy to approach him. I mean, think about how humiliating that was. The equal humiliation that he had shown towards David was now poured and heaped on his head. And he came humbly and bowed down and said, forgive me. David was within his full right to kill him, and he didn't. He refused. It seems that David has recaptured this notion of forgiveness and kindness, of grace and love, that he was going to let God be the one who worked it out and not himself. David is back to his old ways in a good way. Now, in the middle of that, we see that Ziba shows up. Now, if you remember, the first guy was the, the, the opposer. The first guy that shows up, Shemaiah, was the opposer. Now we see the liar show up in the midst of this, Ziba. Do you remember who Ziba was? He was a servant of Saul. Do you remember what happened on the day that David was fleeing Jerusalem? Anybody? Ziba came and lied. 
He brought him all of this food on donkeys. And David said, well, where's Mephibosheth? Because Ziba was Mephibosheth's servant. And some of you guys are like, well, now who's Mephibosheth? <laughs> and that's okay because these names are crazy and I know it's, it's easy to get lost. Mephibosheth was Saul's son. Mephibosheth, I'm sorry, was not Saul's son, was Saul's grandson. He was David's son, Mephibosheth was. Jeez, no, he wasn't. Saul, Jonathan, Mephibosheth. Sorry about that. Saul, Jonathan, Mephibosheth. But who was Jonathan? Saul's son and David's best friend. And so when Saul and Jonathan were killed, Mephibosheth went in hiding. David brought Mephibosheth back to Jerusalem and forgave him and brought him into his, into his court. Well, when David was leaving, Mephibosheth didn't show up and leave with him. But Ziba, Mephibosheth's servant, did. And David at the time said, well, where's Mephibosheth? And he said, um... Yeah, he's going to stay back because he thinks he can be king. And so David says to Ziba, well, then you take everything that I gave to Mephibosheth is now yours because he was, he's an opponent of mine now. Because he mistreated me, I'm going to take all that I gave to him and give it to you. So Ziba, we find out now, lied. So this liar shows up, and he's the second one at the scene. And he's there, let me do whatever you need me to do, oh, oh king. I will help you back across the river. And he comes with his sons and 20 servants. And David doesn't do anything. And then verse 24, and then Mephibosheth shows up. And he came down to meet the king. Now remember, Ziba said that Mephibosheth wanted to become king himself and that he despised David, that he didn't want anything to do with him. But Mephibosheth shows up on the scene. And he had neither taken care of his feet nor trimmed his beard nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came back in safety. These are all signs of mourning. And so Mephibosheth according to Ziba, was excited that David had left the city. Didn't want anything to do with David. Was mad at David. But now David shows back up and we see that that's not true. That in fact, the whole time that David had been gone, Mephibosheth had been in mourning. He hadn't taken care of his feet. Now what's important about that? What was wrong with his feet? He was crippled. Which means he wasn't taking care of his crippled foot. Which means it was even more mangled. And he hadn't washed his clothes. And remember, they didn't have deodorant either. So this guy hadn't bathed. He hadn't washed his clothes. H have you ever come across a through hiker who's like hiking a long trail and they haven't bathed in like four days? Have you ever been in a room with that person? Don't. It's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. If you go to one of these mountain towns and you see a guy coming in with a backpack and like dreads and like nasty looking clothes, he's a through hiker, run. Because they smell awful. 
So Mephibosheth shows up and he hasn't bathed and he hasn't washed his clothes and his foot's all gnarly and mangled and he hadn't shaved his beard. He didn't look like anybody who was trying to become king. We find that Ziba now had lied to David. But even now David does nothing. And instead he shows grace. Verse 25, and when he came down from Jerusalem... In my version, it says, and when he came to Jerusalem, but that is a, a, a mistranslation. And when he came down from Jerusalem to meet the king, the king said to him, why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? And he answered, my lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For your servant said to him, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go, for the, go with the king. For your servant is lame. And he has slandered your servant to my lord the king. But my lord the king is like an angel of God. Do therefore what seems good to you. Was Siri trying to explain something? I don't know what that was. So Mephibosheth is saying, I was lied to and you were lied to. What's interesting is, what did Ziba bring all the goodies on? Do you remember? Donkeys. I mean, we don't know, but could it be that he basically said, I'm going to take advantage. There's no way Mephibosheth can get to his donkey in time, so I'm going to use it to take these goods to David. What we see is Ziba trying to finagle his way into being in good relationship with the king, David, and to gain wealth from it. And Mephibosheth is saying, well, he kind of lied to you, David. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry I wasn't there for you. But I look like this and smell like this because I've been in mourning for you since you left, from the day you left. And David doesn't know who to believe, really. And so the king said, why well, speak any more of your affairs? I've decided you and Ziba shall divide the land that I'd given him. And Mephibosheth said to the king, Oh, let him take it all, since my lord the king has come safely home. We see that Mephibosheth, this lame guy who has nothing to offer, comes and seeks the king to say, I'm sorry. So we've seen the opposer, we've seen the liar, and now we've seen Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth the lame. And then the last encounter is Barzilla. This is the guy who gave David a lot of food and a lot of, uh, a, a lot of supplies as he was leaving. And he shows up, and what we find out about him is that he's 80 years old. We didn't know that in the first part of this when David leaves. We don't know that this guy who gave him all of these goods was 80 years old. We don't know that this guy who went out of his way to show up and help David was an elderly man who didn't have long left to live. But we find that out in this part of the story. And so we have the, the opposer, the liar, the lame, and the friend all show up at the Jordan River to welcome the king back. And every single one of him he blesses and he shows grace to. Every single one of them. And I know this is a complicated and confusing story, but it comes down to this. 
David learned his lesson. And instead of being selfish and getting revenge and getting what he could and what he wanted, David decided, I'm going to choose the path of grace. I'm going to choose to love. I'm going to choose to forgive. He had no use for the opposer. That guy who opposed him, he could have had him slaughtered. He had no use for him. But he forgave him anyway. The liar, the liar, he could have literally cut his tongue off out, by the way. That, that would have been an appropriate, that would have been an appropriate response to being lied to. But David doesn't. He gives him half of what he had given Mephibosheth and said, you know what? It's done. I forgive. Mephibosheth, he's lame. What does he have to offer? He is of no use to King David whatsoever. It would have been easy to ignore him and said, you know what, you're just lame, you smell bad, and you need to go bathe. And while you're at it, take care of that nasty toe you got there. Because there ain't nothing nice about a mangled, nasty toe. Go fix that thing. He didn't. Instead, he shows love and compassion. He says, you know what, I was deceived. I'm going to give you half of what I gave away back to you. And the friend, the 80-year-old, he invites him to come back and be a part of his court. You helped me so much, I want you to come back and be a part of my court. I want you to live in the ultimate luxury, the, the, the out, the, live out the days of your life. You only have a few days left. I don't know how long you're going to be alive come back and just live in luxury with me. And the guy says, no, that's okay. Thank you, David. So this old man that had nothing to offer, he heaps love and compassion and says, I want to give you the best I can. And in all of these ways, I think we see exactly how God interacts with us. For those of us who have opposed him, for those of us who choose over and over again disobedience, he still shows up and he says, you know what? I forgive you. For those of us who have lied and deceived not only ourselves but people around us, to those of us who have manipulated God or tried to manipulate God, he says, you know what? I see your game, but I still forgive you. To those of us that are lame and have no real thing to offer God, he still shows up and says, you know what? I love you, and I have compassion on you. In a world full of quid pro quo, God doesn't work that way. He doesn't look at you and say, this is what you can offer me. He looks at us and says, I can offer you everything. Come live at my table in my palace. And he's forgiving when we fail. And when we are lame and we have nothing to offer, he shows up and he says, that's okay. I still love you and you count. I think that's good news for us, guys. What that means is no matter who we are or where we are or what we've done, God shows up and he says, I am here to love and forgive. I can be a good king. And I think David is an example of that. And precisely because David chooses this modus operandi now, 
He is becoming the person that God created him to be. He's recapturing what made him a great king in, in, the, uh, in the previous sections of his life. It's, he realizes that if I'm going to be the man that God wants me to be, I have to be connected to God and I have to live and love as God loves. I have to be his instrument on this earth. And David's a reminder of that, no matter how wrong we've gotten it in the past. He gives us a new chance. And so today, he's offering you a new chance. Whether you've been the opposer, the liar, the lame, or the friend. We hope you found this week's message meaningful and impactful. And as always, don't just hear it, but put it into practice. Until next time, have a good one.